Hello, listeners of the Mad Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cogswell, here with my co-host, Marie Mayhew. Marie, how's it going? Mad Scientist Podcast. You know what's pretty exciting, actually, is hmm. as we're on the as we're recording right now, mm-hmm. um, the very first episode of our radio show goes out in 25 minutes on KRSM <gasps> 98.9 here in the Twin Cities. Oh my god. Pretty amazing. Oh my god. It's like we're a juggernaut. We are it's a juggernaut. Ju- like like we're a juggernaut. It's like people have finally realized how juggernauty we are. We are it's amazing. We are juggernaut. I mean, you know, we're doing great. So, uh because we are a podcast, we're going to mm-hmm. do an episode on the Golden State Killer. Um we have but to. We're going to do it in a different way mm-hmm. than everyone else is doing it, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Because it's a twist. we. Because actually, in an interesting way, this concept of how they actually caught the killer, the mm-hmm. way that they actually caught this suspect, it has a lot of questions for bioethics and the ethical use of science for military or governmental purposes. It really has a lot of tie in to kind of the topic that we've been talking about already the military-industrial complex. Mm-hmm. So, for those that don't know, the Golden State Killer, uh, a, a criminal who has had a, you know, uh, decades-long crime spree, basically, responsible for over, I think it's over 12 murders, mm-hmm. uh, over 50 rapes, and uh, many, many uh, breakings and enterings and uh, other kind of crimes like that that, you know, kind of, kind of almost go hand in hand with the murder and and rape, honestly, in some interesting ways. Uh, The suspect was finally caught. It was a cold case. It was like a completely cold, dead case. Yes. Uh, And it was one that gained renewed attention thanks to the work of Michelle McNamara, um, who sadly passed away before this killer could be caught. But it's, I think it's a good question to ask if he would have ever even have been caught had her book not sort of put the spotlight back on the case. But mm-hmm. anyways, the killer was caught yeah. in a way, the killer was caught in a way that is is ethically interesting. It is potentially questionable. And frankly, it is potentially a, it's potentially the beginnings of the use of biological engineering and biological, well, not necessarily biological engineering, but DNA science, DNA studies in a way outside of normal criminology that potentially suggests some uh, huge ethical questions for us as a society and especially as scientists. So that's kind of what we're going to dive into on this episode of the Mad Scientist podcast. And now the intro will play. Welcome to the Mad Scientist podcast, Military Industrial Complex Part 2. So, so Marie, mm. why don't you kind of give the background here on how this, how did this all play? How did this all come about? Well, like you said, there is a author, uh, Michelle McNamara, and she wrote a blog. She had a very prominent uh, true crime blog and was sort of this, uh, not sort of, she was a true crime aficionado and found um, this cold case. Or this killer that didn't really have the moniker of Golden State Killer, um, and began to research, interview people, uh, and piece together um, 
sort of this huge legacy of uh, the aftermath of this person's crimes and was very intrigued by it and again came up with the more popular name that people are calling him now, which is Golden State Killer, uh, and began to write a book about it. And as you mentioned in our intro, she passed away before the book actually was published. So her husband, famous comedian Patton Oswald, and her publishers um, put together her notes, changed it as very little as possible, and then published the book out. It's also it's it's its own podcast. I believe it is being developed for a television series. Um, her writing in the book and her efforts to sort of detangle this huge Gorgon's knot of all of this evidence and this huge sort of time frame that all of this was happening in the in the mid to late seventies to early eighties is really impressive writing and it's very detailed and it's very graphic. Um, but she's also even in her notes, you can you can sense her drive to really understand what's going on and really get to the bottom of it and to solve this case. You can really feel that sort of drive in her in her authorship. And it's it's a really great book. I recommend it highly to anybody who is a true crime fan or uh, that likes that type of stuff. It's a little it's a little graphic. So but going back and reading it now, too, I think would be very interesting because it's now solved. But you bring up, Chris, a very interesting point, which I hadn't even really thought about too much, is would this have occurred had this not had the spotlight put on it? Mm-hmm. And I don't think, I mean, I doubt that it would have. I'm happy it did, and I believe that this killer should have been brought to justice, should have been brought to justice. You know, I'm happy it happened now, even though a lot of the crimes that he had committed are already. Uh, the, it's past, I don't want to say the expiration date, but whatever, what's the term? Of course, it's leaving my mind the minute I try and get to it, right? It's the, uh, the, 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 basically like the time that is re- yes. allowed for a crime to be prosecuted. It's the prosecuted. statute of limitations. It Yes, it has already passed the statute of limitations. So a lot of that has, he cannot be tried for. However, for all of the murders, he can be tried for. Um, but I am wondering if, if this, you know, had he, he's now in his 70s, had he just gone to his grave without facing justice, if this hadn't have occurred. So in some ways, it's interesting that, you know, the ends are, you know, you, you're looking at sort of the ends of like, well, they caught him and they did this. And it's sort of, it does give this satisfying, satisfying end to a story. But question remains about well you know had there's a lot of there's a lot of serial killers out there probably there's a lot of crime out there that don't get the same type of notoriety that don't get the same type of attention yeah um that warrant it just as equally as every as anyone else and then also how they caught this killer to your point the science behind it the mass commercialization of your genetic material being utilized in a way that may or may not be something that you're even aware of it's happening is questionable and is interesting. So the case itself started in the case itself started in um, basically around 1974. 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, and these are kind of the murders and rapes, right? Uh, it's likely with this killer, like in the case of other serial, uh, serial killers, you will find that they probably had prior criminal records before that, or not criminal records, prior crimes that they committed beforehand that will be more kind of indicative of their ultimate um, paraphilia and psychology, mm-hmm. right? And so paraphilia, by the way, just in case anyone doesn't know, paraphilia is a uh, an abnormal, not abnormal, it's a, it is a non, uh, non-traditional fascination uh, sexually with a particular thing right or or Mm. object so the most common paraphilia is foot fetishism um there's other ones as well there's things like being literally run it down for you well i mean (laughs) i mean it's kind of like a necessary part of talking about serial killers Mm -hmm. right um there's also stuff you know uh being uh being fascinated with shoes or uh you know there are other ones there's a there's a whole slew of them everything anything you can Mm -hmm. think of there's probably at least one person in the world who gets their rocks off thinking about it or touching it or whatever. So anyways, the Golden State Killer uh, 70 was operating from 74 to 86 in the United States, particularly in California in the Sacramento area. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, had a number of different names over the years. So he started as the Vesalia Ransacker, became, this, uh, became the East Area Rapist, then the original Night Stalker. He was also known mm-hmm. as the Diamond Knot Killer for some time, and then, like Marie said, most uh, most recently as the Golden State Killer, um, which actually ties together a couple of other types of crimes as well. Now, right. they had DNA evidence from uh, they had DNA evidence from um, these crimes even you know back in in uh, the eighties, but because they didn't have access to any suspects, they were not able to. Uh, actually check against that uh, for anything, right? Right. And and at the time when they had the DNA, the DNA, uh, kind of the DNA databases that they use today for this stuff weren't available, right? So today, if you go to jail or you're, you're, uh, you know, you are found guilty of a a crime that sends you to jail or prison, um, they'll take your DNA, right? They'll they'll take your Mm -hmm. DNA for kind of tracking. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of uh, a way that they keep or are able to find a lot of criminals today. But back then, that, that wasn't available. That wasn't a thing that happened. Now, no. so basically... I, I would say even today within um, criminal justice system, it's still, it's becoming more, I think, post 9-11, it's becoming more of a federal sort of nationwide yeah. database. But before... Um, fingerprints dna would be highly siloed within states yeah right yeah. so if you were arrested and you committed a crime um your dna would be housed in some sort of a database in new york state or yeah. even in new york city but it may not you could go ahead and commit a crime in someplace like new hampshire and they may not have the um connectivity to go and find your dna in another state so now it's it is still somewhat limited but it is and it's still somewhat segmented and i think that there's probably a lot of uh there's a lot of bureaucracy too with going across states and going across yeah you know and and trying to utilize and find this data and as well there should be i mean there's when you say bureaucracy everybody's it's has a negative connotation but it's also like 
these these things are in place because you need rules when you're going about something like this. You can't just, you know, cherry pick someone's DNA or go after someone's information without sort of a process to it. So yeah. now from everything I've been reading, it does seem like there's more um, cooperation in finding these things out and networking these things better. But the criminal justice system versus a commercial, uh, a commercially run aggregate of DNA, like something like a that this was found in. Are two entirely different things. Yeah. So let's entirely so let, different structures. So yes. let's let's kind of so okay. So obviously we are not a true crime podcast. That's not what you guys are listening here for. But we wanted not to go. Yet. But we wanted to go, not yet. But we wanted to go through um, just a couple of things that kind mm -hmm. of made this case in particular difficult to solve. Yes. So first off, if you look at the if you look at the sketches of the suspect that they had, they actually are all pretty common. Like they all look pretty similar, actually. Which makes it interesting, except for the one that makes him look like a bowling ball um, with big eyes and a wide open mouth. But um, his modus operandi, though, was basically to uh, tie up the victims, um, you know, uh, force the female to to tie up the male victim, um, kill the male victim, and then... Just um gruesome. And then basically uh, continuously rape the female for some period of time. Usually the male was still alive while this happened. Um, and, and usually this occurred over the course of hours. So he would stay in the house, he would eat, he would hang around and stuff. Um, and then just kind of leave. Right. And that was kind of his whole thing. And so there was really no, you know, it seemed like he was traveling on foot. There didn't seem to be any kind of car or anything involved. Um, at least near the home, he, uh, you know, used open spaces. So it wasn't clear that he was walking along an open space. And so ultimately mm -hmm. what they ended up with were these uh, sort of large, uh, these large numbers of cases with kind of these sketches that look somewhat right. similar. And then they came up with the following profile. So the known physical characteristics were a white male, approximately five foot, 10 inches tall, which is 1.78 meters for our European listeners, slender, but athletic, uh, size nine to nine and a half shoes, type A blood. He was a non-secretor, which means that his blood, uh, which means that basically his uh, his non-blood fluids, body fluids, did not contain antigens from his blood group. Um, so like his saliva, his sperm in particular, did not have these secretions. And then it seemed like he was physically agile in some way because he was able to run, mm -hmm. could scale fences, all this other stuff. Right. Then, the FBI also said, I don't know if you have this, but White male, close to six feet tall, athletic build, may have an interest or training in military and in law enforcement techniques. Yeah. And so the other probable physical characteristics included things like uh, also included things like, you know, he was probably uh, 18 to 25 when the rapes began in 76, but probably uh, would place him around 60 to 75 in 2018. He had blonde or brown hair, blue or light colored eyes. And had a penis size frequently described as small or smaller than average, both of which are in quotes on the Wikipedia page, which I find to be uh, very respectful, you know, very respectful, which is good, I suppose. Um, so the so here's the interesting thing, right? Basically, they're saying it was a white guy, right? It was a white guy with like brown or blonde hair, blue eyes, you know. So, OK, so you've you've narrowed it down to 20 million people. 
right? Well, like did, it's they did get military and well, so okay, I'm talking about the physical yes. description. Yes. Now they're yes. but but we do know from our previous episodes that these psychological profiles are often super duper wrong, right? So here was his here right. was the the psychological profile here was uh this is from um from Leslie D'Ambrosia, the primary author of the profile. And so they said that it was likely that they would cons- they would be have an emotional age equivalent to uh, 26 or 30 year old at the time of the murders engaged in deviant paraphilic behavior and brutal sex in their personal life, uh, sex with prostitutes had some knowledge of police investigative methods and evidence gathering techniques was sexually functional and capable of ejaculation dressed. Well, would not stand out in upscale neighborhoods lived or worked near Ventura, California in the eighties, a good physical condition, skilled and experienced car bur- or cat burglar, uh, likely began that way, uh, had a criminal record as a teenager that was expunged, had some means of income, but did not work in the early morning hours, hated women for real or perceived wrongs, had a, uh, if married, had a submissive spouse who tolerated his sexually deviant behavior, was intelligent and articulate, likely began as a voyeur in his late teens or early 20s, was neat and well-organized, drove a well-maintained car, uh, peeped into windows before the attacks actually occurred, um, possibly unmarried and did not enter into long-term relationships, self-assured and confident, would continue committing violent crimes until incapacitated by prison, death, or some other intervention, and would have been described by those who knew him as arrogant, domineering, manipulative, and a chronic liar. Literally all of those things, not to take away from the work of Leslie D'Ambrosia, literally all of those things any one of us could have guessed. Right? Yeah, I'm always, I'm always curious with the car. I think that that's a relatively like he would have a very neat car, which I guess like almost is more common sense. Like if you were committing these things, you wouldn't want, you know, pe- you would want as non-obtrusive or as right. non- Right, absolutely. Like, you would just walk by a normal car, right? Well, that's like, what I'm saying. Like, be like, God, look at all the junk this dude has in the back of his car. It's like, like, God, what all is of, this? Yeah, all of these things are like, you know, oh, they committed violent sexual crimes, so they probably were violent sexually even outside of the crimes. They, you know, he probably had problems with uh, sexual boundaries. So he probably had sex with prostitutes and was a voyeur. He hated women because all of his, you know what I mean? Like, no yeah. shit, Sherlock. I like, think, of course. Yeah. You know, he had some means of income and did not work in them early. Like, that's all you came up with? Are you kidding me? My favorite yeah. here, my favorite what here year is. What year was that, though? What year my, was that this that was, came up with that? Oh, that's actually a good question. Uh, this was. That came, sounds like it. Could be early seventies or eighties, kind of when this was starting to formulate, right? Pro- like I yeah. hope that they'd be better now with just the sheer amount of data and statistic out there. But no, this was this was from uh, this was from the For- Florida Department of Law Enforcement, uh, Miami Regional Operations Center. This was written in. Uh, this was written. Wi- this was written towards the end of the crimes. Okay, so we're talking so like the nineties. Oh, 90s, we're talking we're talking like the crimes ended in 86 this was written in like so it doesn't give an exact date here but hmm. uh mm-hmm. but this says yeah i would expect that this was occurring around uh early 90s somewhere around there mm-hmm. or, or late 80s that's probably the earliest that it could have been done now here's the, the other thing the f- part of this that i find really interesting is if married probably has a submissive spouse who tolerated his sexually deviant behavior or 
um, possibly unmarried and did not enter into long-term relationships. You know, it's kind of like, Mm -hmm. I think I've told this story before about my neighbor's kid who came by and I was like, Oh, is that a balloon? And he was like, yeah, it it is. Or it isn't. And I was like, (laughs) yup, you are correct. Little kid. That's fucking correct. But you know, how much so how much of this did they get right though in now going back and so far so far they got that he had some knowledge of police investigative methods and evidence gathering techniques which that could also include again anyone who has ever listened to a true crime podcast right um they probably got right deviant paraphilic behavior and brutal sex in his personal life we don't know that yet but i bet they probably did and they got right uh well they had they know but he was married and they got they got Right. right, but they also had the thing there where they said he probably wasn't married or could not had problems with long-term relationships. Like, you know, a lot of this stuff to mm-hmm. me, again, it is it is like, you know, you you give a uh you give a a prediction and then you go back and you look and see what, you know, is it descriptive now of the thing that I mm-hmm. see? Well, of course mm-hmm. it is, right? But like let, well, like look He was a police officer. So they they actually but that was also commonly held with um, people investigating the crime at the time, but he not just that they they had the suspicion that because of of evidence that they found, right? Yeah. That they, that he had not just a knowledge, but that he I think that that even predated that um, profile. But they they thought that this guy could be in law enforcement in some respect. Maybe so. Here, so the interesting mm-hmm. thing is when they. This is his, this is, so this is straight from Wikipedia. I'm going to read the Wikipedia thing they have here. Ready? Joseph, Joseph D'Angelo. Wikipedia. Okay. Joseph D'Angelo was born in Bath, New York, the son of Joseph James D'Angelo Sr. and Kathleen Louise de Grote. D'Angelo attended ninth grade at Mills Middle School in Rancho Cordova, California. He was in the U.S. Navy during the Vietnam War, serving as a damage controlman on the cruiser USS Canberra. After returning to the U.S., D'Angelo worked as a police officer in Exeter from 73 until 76, then in Auburn from 76 to 79, when he was fired after being caught shoplifting a hammer and dog repellent. From 1990 until his retirement in 2017, D'Angelo worked as a truck mechanic at the Roseville Distribution Center for Save March Supermarkets. D'Angelo's work history in the decade between his Auburn and Roseville jobs is not currently known. D'Angelo was engaged to a woman named Bonnie in the 70s, who he met at a class, as a classmate at Sierra College, but he never married her. This fact matched a statement that the offender made during one of his attacks, I Hate You, Bonnie. He married, lawyer Sharon, uh, he married a lawyer in 73 and had three daughters with her. They broke up in 1991. D'Angelo was living in Citrus Heights with one of his daughters and a granddaughter at the time of his arrest. Mm. Um, his brother-in-law, James Huddle, recalled D'Angelo casually bringing up the East Area Rapist in conversation during the original case. Neighbors reported that D'Angelo frequently engaged in loud and profane outbursts. So... This guy was uh, was living in the areas where all the crimes occurred. He was known to have. I mean, I feel like Bonnie is not a super common name, right? Um, I don't. Well, for the time, though, if you think about for the time, sure, might have sure in the location, it sure. Been. I don't he know. was he was a police officer who was fired for shoplifting seemingly cheap items. To me, those mm-hmm. are all red flags you know what i mean like to me like the shoplifting in particular is a red flag because it it shows a desire to commit crimes when i mean and of course like a lot of people shoplift a lot of people do that when they're kids whatever, i shoplift right? all the time 
Okay. I'm teasing. Let's not let's not let's not put a let's not get into this, Marie. Let's not add to your list of oh known God. and suspected Shut crimes. But I can't even go into Target anymore. You know you know what I'm saying though, right? Where I'm at. Um, no, totally. Totally. I think too, but they also say that when they interview the police officers that he worked with, that he was he was seemingly overeducated for the small department that he worked in. Like he was he he had a way of talking or a way of sounding that he had, um, but he knew a lot, right? Sure. So that he had this sort of, he, he may have just had a bachelor's degree, but he had like all sorts of other different types of training, but there was also something about him that quote unquote just did not fit in with the other police officers. Well, yeah, of course. And the other thing too yes. is the suspects that they actually eliminated include uh, Brett Glasby, who is a suspect until he was murdered in Mexico. Um, in That'll take care of that. Right? Uh, Paul Cornfed Schneider mm -hmm. was a high-ranking member of the Aryan Brotherhood prison gang. Um, and Joe Alsip, who was uh, tested for DNA and cleared. Now, to me, what's interesting is uh, testing this Aryan Brotherhood uh, guy, right? Mm -hmm. To me, it suggests a complete misunderstanding of what this... I mean, the if there is one thing that the... Um, if there is one thing that the profile gives us, it's the idea that he's intelligent and uh, well-organized and capable of um, knowing about police investigative processes, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, of course, like having terrible opinions and being a, you know, being a, a member of a violent gang doesn't mean you're not intelligent, right? But I would think that a a guy that was a ranking member in the Aryan Brotherhood. You got a feeling that guy's going to stick out at a Walmart, you know? So yeah. it's kind of like, mm, don't know if it was him, you guys. Anyways, he might have something messy on his car. Like he, he'll have something that you remember, right? Like the, the thing that I <laughs> think thing is of, interesting. A thing of Calvin peeing on a star of David or something hor horrendous, yeah. you know, <laughs> something fucking stupid as hell. That's the thing that is interesting about Angela, though, is that he he is remembered as being serious and intelligent. Um, and maybe now it's more of sort of that lens, you know, you're looking at him and he's like, well, it's quite strange one. He was always struck me as a little strange. Right. right? But um, I will say, like, they did get the the two big things that were in the profile that were in the the police investigation time in the military and had knowledge had strong working knowledge of law enforcement yeah but which is so that's but i mean i don't you know like one out of know. like 15 that's or two out of 15 that's not super great right it's not um, it's not yeah but i don't know i also that I've, i haven't i have not seen or read and i'm not i think profiling to me is it's interesting, but it's also been so, uh, so heartily shown to be full of butt. <laughs> that like it has no say, value. I was going to say it's been so fictionalized that to me it's not interesting anymore. It's like sure, sure, you know, sure. As soon as I can watch Hannibal on uh, Netflix, right? Like I'm sort of like, eh, you know, this is great, but now it's completely fictionalized, and it's like, I don't know. It's like. The exceptionalism of serial killing and serial killers, I think, is also maybe done in some ways. Like, yeah, not, yeah, that's not yeah. as interesting. And I think 
in seeing something like this, you're also seeing sort of the mundaneness of who this person was in a 100%. lot of ways. And how, how easy it is to catch someone because their relative really wanted to see just how much percent Irish they were. So let's, well, so let's yeah. get into this. So well, not that easy. Cause clearly, I mean, and we have, you have to give it up for like, had they had that technology at the time, it would have been, there would have been something else to it, right? They could have caught him easy. They would have caught him sooner had they had, had they had this, um, this huge database to draw from. I don't know. It's a chicken and the egg. Okay. But let's, let's so, get okay. into that. That's a good So point. here's, so, all right. So the, what they found was that basically uh, by testing the DNA of this case against the DNA inside of one of the large uh, databases of DNA. Now this one, this is interesting. I didn't know mm -hmm. this until recently. The website that they went to mm -hmm. uh, is GED match. Yes. Okay. Which has over a million or nearly a million users and is used often to resolve family mysteries and adoption cases. Okay. So it's already questionable. Questionable. Right. Because family in my, in my, because yeah, in my mind, family so, fa so family, mystery, family mysteries, family mysteries is one thing, right? Well, family mysteries but, to my, in my family is like who ate the leftover ribs. So like, no, that's no, a miss. That's a so, family mystery. Well, no, no, but, see, see, yeah. so we, we have family mysteries that would be solved by something like this potentially. Right. So my grandma, we don't mm -hmm. know what her family was like in uh, Yugoslavia before, uh, before World War II. We don't know anything about them, right? We don't even know if they, we still have relatives there or not. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it was a part of her life that she desperately didn't want to talk about, right? Right. And I assumed because uh, something not, it wasn't a good time for her life, right? I mean, right. it seems like something that you, if you desperately didn't want to talk about, you, would, you wouldn't talk about it then, right? And mm -hmm. at the same time, the, the idea, I think the idea of even adoptions of, I can understand being the child of adoption and wanting to know desperately who your parents are, but I can also know, I can also understand being that parent and not wanting them to know. Do you know what I mean? It's a, it's a, Agreed. it's like a, it's a very sticky, it's a very challenging situation, I think. And it is, it sucks. And I feel for the child, for this person who's grown up, not knowing their family and stuff. Um, you know what I mean? It's, it, you didn't ask to be, you didn't ask for that to happen to you. Right. So that, that's terrible. Mm -hmm. Um, but I can also understand this person doing this under the assumption that this is a way for me to kind of, um, I don't know, be free of this or something, right? As terrible well, as it is. You have um, a right to privacy. I mean, that's, that's the thing upon doing this is you're guaranteed like, in certain, you know, for closed adoptions, it is closed because of the wishes of the person who's putting the child for adoption. And, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, that's, you know, how you, how you emotionally feel about it. That's, that's in place, again, for a reason. It's a, it's, it is, you know, to your point, it's awful in some ways, but it exists for a reason. And, to create something like this, you know, opens a really big can of worms, like a DNA match to go into a, some sort of huge profile and be able to, to find this out. Um, 
you know, for a family mystery or for adoptions, you know, I don't know. It's sort of, it, it, it's sort of, it's this inevitability of, of this much data being out there and being utilized, but yeah. it's also questionable. It's like the intent of what you enter into this contract legally and by law mm-hmm. is closed. I will not contact the child. The child will not know anything about me. They will grow up with family, right? And that's what's important. They will grow up with a family that, that wants them. And maybe, you know, I, you know, again, I don't, not knowing too much about it, you know, if there's, you know, if it's a closed adoption, it's that way for the entire, the entire Mm -hmm. time that it's, that, you know, that they've, they've had that. Does yeah. that make sense? It, Sorry. You, you know no, what I mean? No, of course. Like, and then, and yeah. then again, and then again, I think there is the need, there is the need though, for people to be able to know their like genetic uh, history in the sense of say, you know, um, you mm-hmm. might be at a higher risk for cancers or diabetes or something like that. Right. Like that all is also important stuff for you to know. Yeah. Just it, it like this raises a lot of ethical questions. So with, with the golden state killer, what happened was this website, a GED match, you can actually mm-hmm. upload your DNA to it, and then um, you can then check other other people that have been uploaded. Okay. Yes. So um, they upload. So you can create so, your own match, right? Yeah, you can so, create a profile. Yeah. So what they do is you upload your DNA sample, right? You you get this raw data file, you upload it in, and then um, you get. Uh, you can then match that information to other profiles on the site. Okay. Now mm-hmm. this is a, this is a statement from, uh, and so because there's a million users on there, you can then use the database to get a sense of who this DNA might be connected to in some way. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they actually didn't even need, uh, it doesn't even sound like they needed a warrant. Right. So that's troubling. But so what they, this is a statement from GED match. This is from April 27th mm-hmm. statement quote, We understand that the GED match database was used to help identify the Golden State Killer. Although we were not approached by law enforcement or anyone else about this case or about the DNA, it has always been GED match's policy to inform users that the database could be used for other uses as set forth in the site policy. While the database was created for genealogical research, it is important that GED match participants understand the possible uses of their DNA, including identification of relatives that have committed crimes or were victims of crimes. The statement added, quote, if you are concerned about non-genealogical uses of your DNA, you should not upload your DNA to the database and slash or you should remove DNA that has already been uploaded. To delete your registration, contact gedmatch at gmail.com, end quote. Now, that it is it is insane to me it is insane to me that people like there's that joke there's a joke that goes around online right that's like you know um you know 10 years ago people were like i don't want the government you know i don't want the government knowing you know whatever like what websites i'm on and stuff and now today we're like you know hey google does this picture of my butt make it look fat you know like totally it's it's ridiculous like I just said, okay, we have a Google Home. I just said, hey, Google, in here in the soundproof room, and it fucking beeped. Of course it did. It's, it's listening. listening to you all the time. There's right. no, I can't even believe you have one of those Google things, man. Oh, my God. It, okay, the uh, horrendous. You want to talk about intrusive. That. You don't think that that thing is recording you 24-7 and just being like, oh, they ordered a pizza. Oh, look, they're going out to Target. 
it is tracking you and it's tracking all of your behaviors to sell. Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions. Instead, we seek out the tales of those who defied the odds and fought passionately for their beliefs. Whether they're right or wrong is up to you to decide. From Vercingetorix's doomed rebellion against Rome, to Osceola's unshakable war against the USA, all the way up to the inspiring Sobibor concentration camp uprising in World War II, each episode is an immersive listening experience, blending music and sound effects to really draw you into the story. Our episodes go for about 45 minutes, making them perfect for your commute, and are crafted using a wealth of historical sources, which I list on our website if you want to learn more. I'm the host, Elliot Gates, and I'm thrilled to have you joining me as we uncover history's hidden gems and illuminate the faded pages of our past. Look out for the Anthology of Heroes podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. Oh, oh Google. Oh, Google. So, so the reason we have it is because Sorry. you can tell it to turn the lights on in bed. Oh, that's nice. So you yeah. don't even have to get up. It's like, but you can have a clapper for that. Just like old school, like clap on, clap off. Don't you remember this? You got to Google that. I do hear ask, you. I do understand that. Ask your Google to Google that. That's too funny. But okay, so this, so back to GED, DNA match, whatever it's called. So you go in. So I'm, I'm a federal investigator. I'm someone from uh, law enforcement. I can create a fake profile using the DNA from, that I have found at a crime site. Yes. I've uploaded it. And then I can basically screen through just records and records and records of data to narrow it to it didn't like it wasn't a one-to-one -one match necessarily so let's let's we should be clear about that it's like it basically narrowed it down to familial different familial um groups of people and then they had to go back into that and eliminate um eliminate people or find people that fit the profile better yes. so if there was you know if there wasn't a male if there was a the male was too young, too old, dead, whatever. That's how they narrowed it down to this one particular guy. But they could not have done that had it not been sort of part of this open platform for data yes, for exactly. your gene. And I think it, 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 there was something really insidious about like you, everybody has this innate want to know where they came from. Just like you were saying, like with adoption or just in general, like what where did I come from? What is my makeup? What made me what I am? And you can now just swab the inside of your cheek, send it in, and they're going to give you this entire, like, hypothetical, I haven't done it, but this skew of saying, hey, it's like your X amount this, your Y amount this. I mean, that is inherently plugging into, you know, something that is amazing and something that is like you re you want to know that's part of i think what makes people human is they want to know that and that's what's so insidious is that in doing that you are basically giving up your rights to that little tiny piece of you that is still 100% you so that little tiny piece of 100% Marie Mayhew could be out there and could be profiled in all sorts of different ways could be used for all sorts of different things 
Well, yeah, and then once it's online too, it's pretty much it's pretty much impossible to remove. I mean, you can remove yeah. it, right? You can yes. actually remove from the database, but like, how effective is that really going to be? <laughs> right? Well, anything, I mean, yeah, anything that has occurred up to that point is still out there, and you don't know. I have not read there. I think it would be interesting. And something I'm going to do is go back and I want to read sort of what their disclaimer is. Can they sell that? Can they mm. sell their profiles? Can they say, well, we've created sort of within this millions of people, million of people, we've come up with sort of um, different buckets of types of people that we know are from this area and um, have this type of a uh, background and are have the genetic makeup of this because of all the information you're voluntarily giving them, they're starting to be able to get a better picture of who you are. If they can get a picture of who you are, they can sell it and say, so I'm going to give all of this genetic makeup to another group who wants to buy it. Yeah. It's a very, it's a very troubling idea. So troubling. And the more you think of it, the less, the, I mean, I would love to hear from listeners or from somebody who has a more, I don't want to say positive viewpoint of this, but has a more benign take on, on that this is not an invasion of your civil liberties. Because, like we've said, it is, it is wonderful and it is justice that this man was caught before he died and will face sentencing and will face justice. And it should have happened it should have happened long ago. The methods in which this occurred is problematic to say the least though, in any ways that I can, that I can parse it out. It is, it is a huge challenge. I mean, so the problem, I think one of the most interesting things about this is the ability of them to basically. So the fact that they weren't, you, you don't even need to have an exact match. Right. You can mm -hmm. just have it be a relative. So you yourself, I mean, of course, like this person committed a crime. Right. But the idea that um, that even if you are just. what So so here's kind of the, the scenario I'm thinking that might be interesting is let's say you're great. You know, let's say someone in one of your family trees, so someone in one of the branches of your family trees. Right. Mm -hmm. is a uh, is wanted for a, a horrible crime right yes let's say that's true let's say though that you have uh been shoplifting right or you you know you have been as you do it or i don't know get on know. a sunday i don't know something stupid right something yes. something even less less uh less criminally um whatever less criminal than shoplifting let's say you have been you know i don't know illegally stealing cable or something right you've been you've been stealing cable from your neighbor for for years all right the police narrow down the pool of suspects to someone in your family tree so they start surveilling everyone in your family to see which of you mm -hmm. guys is the most likely and let's say even that they do it a little bit they do it a little bit higher level than that let's say that they get to the point where they are thinking, okay, well, there are, uh, you know, there's seven of these guys in this family. They match the type of people, whatever. And you happen to be one of those seven and the, and the cops in their surveilling of you find out that you've been stealing cable. So they write you a ticket or they use that to bring you into the station 
to talk to you, right? Um, and you know, it just it just snowballs, it spirals, right? Any in any time you get kind of potentially in trouble with the with the police, you have to be very careful, right? I mean, you know, I know a lot of people that are very good that are police, but you should still just you know you should protect yourself and be careful in those situations, right? Great. So. Uh, to me, it's interesting that this could be used to nab. Like, what happens then? Let's say they bring you up on charges of that. Mm-hmm. Let's say they use it. Let's say, let's say, in their attempt to get into your house to get to talk to you, you resist arrest. Or mm-hmm. let's say, you know, you have uh, you have weed in your apartment, or you have, you know, uh, whatever. Right there, and these charges keep stacking and stuff, and then it turns out. You're not even the one that's wanted for this bigger crime. They just caught you in the net because they used this this uh, questionable method. Right? What happens to that case? <laughs> you know, what? Yeah. where does that yeah. go? No, I totally, I hear you. And I think that that's, um, that's the big problem with it. It's like, there's no oversight on on legally how this should be used and also you brought up a good point like so how with law enforcement the intent is and you know we can debate whether this happens all the time or not which is a different subject entirely but the intent is when you get a sample dna it is treated in a certain way and it is preserved in a certain way right it is not tampered with it is it is kept um, safe and um, it is not going to be corroded or manipulated or anything else, right? When I send in, I'm doing a swab and I'm sending it in, the chain of command between me and my sample of what actually happened is open. There's no, it's not a closed chain of command. There's, there's a million different places that something could happen to it. Sure. So it's not even it's not even 100% close match. Or there may, it may, or I don't want to say it's not 100% close match because clearly it is, but it's it's not a a safe environment in which to be making sort of this life and death, you know, or prosecutable decisions. Yeah, it's there's a lot of places it could go. There's a a yeah, there's a lot of wiggle room, right? There's a lot of like, there's a lot of really weird things that can happen there. And then I think even, even more troubling potentially is, so yeah, it could all go wrong, right? All of this stuff can go wrong. And again, this to me seems like a very. Once they did it, it was done. Right. right. It's not like it's not like then you can go back and say, well, actually, he matches all these other pieces of evidence. Right. You've already narrowed mm-hmm. him down using this questionable technique. And the thing is, too, this isn't the first time that this kind of family member genealogy has been used, but it's the only time that it's been or it is, I think, one of the first major cases where it's been gotten from this kind of open uh, forum almost. Open sourced. Right. Open yeah. Sourced, uh, you know, people yeah. are so. I'm sorry. If you are uploading your DNA onto the website, onto the internet, you are dumb. <laughs> I mean, that's true. So, uh, so there were, there were people. Lord. So uh, the grim sleeper case was famously mm-hmm. uh, solved this way. Right. But they mm-hmm. got that partial match from prison, from someone in the prison system. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. The killer's son was in the prison system. 
And so uh, they got the match of the DNA. They thought originally, well, maybe it's the son. And then they realized, no, it's actually the father. Right. Uh, yeah. um, there are other ones like that, too. Right. Um, the Canal Killer, which was in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, uh, basically they sent the information to a genealogist and the genealogist emailed the police the suspect's last name. Right. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's and the the way that that occurred was the genealogist actually ran the DNA on uh, family tree <laughs> DNA and ancestry dot com. <laughs> Which then let them f get up to the point where they were able to say this is the killer, right? But I mean, so, a good lawyer, like a lawyer is going to be able to take that stuff, like a defense lawyer can take that stuff apart. Well, see, but this is, this is the where kind of, I think, the science and its effects on, say, the least, uh, what's the word? The least rich, yeah. right? Yeah. Um. Those just will simply not like if you're rich enough, you can get a lawyer to throw that out. But if you're if you're uh, poor, right, and mm -hmm. you know you don't have the uh, what's the word? You don't have the I don't know the money for a lawyer. Then right. that yeah. is going to happen regardless of the fact that it's totally against. It can it can in theory yeah, be like said a, to yeah. go completely yeah. against State your civil defense. liberties. Yeah, right. A a court appointed attorney. You have a court-appointed attorney yeah. that may or may not have a workload that is over almost overwhelming to begin with, then you're only going to get X amount of time to put towards against disproving the science versus someone that you are paying to do. And if you have a certain amount of affluence, then you naturally are going to be able to afford a better prosecution. Absolutely. Or a better a better defense, sorry. Oh, man, dude. I now. <sighs> I was a little like, I know people that upload, they're not stupid, but I'm, it's not that <laughs> I'm almost tempted to agree with you. But in the same regard, I also feel like, you know, you don't. I remember when it first started coming out, I was like, yeah, that doesn't seem like a good idea. Right. That doesn't seem like one. I bet it's not that accurate. And two, mm -hmm. I bet it's not that great of idea. But they've got some they they are they're putting money behind the marketing of it and we can talk a little bit about the the companies that are doing this i mean basically you know it's to be able to to be able to kind of formulate and have these huge databases of dna i think as a as a uh, as a commercial enterprise are suspect to begin with because as a money making venture you're looking at that and there's to me it's like okay well you're you're going to take advantage of people wanting to know what their history is anyways which is again a natural human condition you want to know those things so it's an easily marketable thing but i think to me it is just amazing and again i don't want to you know i don't want to incite people to start hollering about big government or nanny state but that, that there's no oversight there's no government regulatory agency that says yeah, this is okay for entertainment or commercial, you know, entertainment value only. These are the only things that you, that they should be able to legally find out about you as a person. The rest of this, you know, they should be they should be throwing it away or they should only be able to keep you know what the data or what your genetic makeup tells you about about this certain bit of your life 
but everything else should be expunged. Just like HIPAA, right? Just like your, if you go into a hospital and you've broken your ankle, those records are yours. They're sealed. They're not, they're not to be sold. They can't be viewed. You know, you are the only one that has your medical file. And that's because your medical file is closely tied to your identity, to your DNA, and to you, who you are. And so it is inherently something that you are not, that, you know, you can't get, you, that it's not supposed to be sold or commoditized to a certain right. extent. Right. It becomes it, it becomes a much larger, I think. I mean, of course, it becomes a much larger issue as soon as money is involved. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of mm-hmm. where the ethical questions come about for these like medical records and stuff. Although that even is starting to be um, that even is starting <laughs> to be changed in some ways. Which is so incredibly scary. I can't yeah. begin to, to start talking about that. So, OK. So Let's how see. does this how does this all go then with the. How does this all come into the military industrial complex? Right. Mm-hmm. So this was tying it back. People were tying so. It back. So this was a DNA obviously has a lot of benefits. Right. It has a lot of really good things. The analysis of DNA. I mean, I'm talking about DNA has a lot of benefits. Like it's the <laughs> fucking backbone of life. Right. But DNA analysis and even it's genealogy. Like everybody should have some DNA. It's really good for you. <laughs> Even, fact, you should have more than one DNA. You should have like a bunch. Now sold, like, now sold on the Mad Scientist uh, website. DNA infused water. Come get it. DNA infused water. Uh, you we should just have some. We That's just good spit. For you. We just spit into a bottle of water. Um, so, <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> whose spit is it though? So oh, the oh god. So patent okay. pending. Copyright. So we have this idea of DNA analysis and genealogy and its use in things like you know, uh, bioengineering and even the sense of say, so one concept in bioengineering today is the option or the idea to actually create what are basically uh, clones of you, but not, not like, not like a big clone, not like a human sized clone, right? We're talking about a genetic clone of you Mm. that is basically like cells in a Petri dish, right? Oh my God. And then those cells can then be, studied for the effect of say okay let's say god forbid you get cancer right well there are a lot of cancer drugs that can only be used for people with certain genetic phenotypes right and so we need to know okay can this cancer drug be used on you as an individual well besides you know let's say instead of them actually having to test it on you right Mm-hmm. Um, they can just run this test to see will it work on your DNA? Will it work on on cells, cancer cells with your DNA, right? Mm-hmm. Or uh, even bigger questions than that. Even you know, uh, are your cells more likely to uh, become metastatic, right? If you have cancer, mm-hmm. or are there ways for you to? Um, are there specific ways that a disease will progress in you that maybe they wouldn't, it would not occur in something else, right? These are all kind of long-term goals of this stuff, but it is, the idea is that eventually your DNA will become not only a interesting kind of tool for you to give away for free on the internet, but will become a important diagnostic and medical tool, right? Right. And it kind of gets into this, 
you know, it's interesting. One of the big conspiracy theories that was out there, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, was that your DNA in some way would get linked to, say, a credit card or a number or something. And that was supposed to be the number of the beast, right? <laughs> Turns out, literally all people had to do was figure out a way to turn it into something, you know, your mom is interested in Googling. And all of a sudden, everyone's DNA is on the internet, you know, for free. They didn't, they didn't have to pay you for your DNA. They just no, gave you. You paid them. Yeah, you, they, paid them. you paid them for answers you probably kind of already knew, right? And again, again, though, this is, I think, a, so this is what I think is very insidious and very, mm -hmm. uh, very, very questionable, let's say. If there is one, I think, area or one, one group of people, let's say, who would, I think, be particularly interested in finding this kind of information out about their genealogy. I would think that uh, if I was someone whose family history has been erased by, let's say, uh, a transatlantic slave trade, <laughs> right? I would be very yes. interested. I would be very interested in finding that out about, you know, well, what country did my, you know, where, where are my, uh, where are my roots? Where is my family really from? Right. I think that that would be an interesting thing for people to look for. And these sites that do it for free are wide open now to police scrutiny. Right. Yeah. But the ones that are, that cost money, a lot of money in mm -hmm. some cases mm -hmm. for you to send your stuff to are the ones that are being protected. Yeah. So it's kind of a, it's sort it's of a very, fucked. it's Call a very, it what it is, man, that is affluence. That's like privilege. It is complete privilege. Right. It's and it's a very privilege. interesting, I think part of this whole story that I think will eventually become more important is if this tool is going to be used against any community, it'll probably be communities of color, right? And communities oh that are yeah. Um, yeah. communities uh, of people that are generally already, uh, you know, viewed by some to be more kind of, you know, already being racially profiled, right? In some ways. Yeah. Well, and I think that that even can be, um, that even can be applied to, sort of hunt for this killer to begin with in some ways and the the want to solve it is that the victims were in a relatively affluent part of right this doesn't respect. happen here right, right. this doesn't so happen in our community it, it was pretty affluent and if you look at if you look at like serial killers that that um serial killers that that focus on women of color that are sex workers that doesn't get the same sort of uh, necessarily the same sort of attention or the same sort of um, drive that maybe something like this, this story does. Now that doesn't, that should not take away from the horror that of this the crime. story, the no, crime of itself, not. right. Or that this, this, the victims of these crimes deserve, um, they deserve closure and they deserve, to have justice, you know, justice serve. As such does anyone that is a victim of crime, as such as all communities that are 
that you know make up our country and i feel like you see these things and you start to as soon as you start to dig into them a little bit more you start to see sort of the inequality in it and the sort of this this inherent bias that's coming up like to your point which is really excellently thought out is it is about privilege like this is this is if you can't afford it you're putting these things into it this is what's being this is what's being mined and and yeah. you're you can be sure of it something else that you know that you have to pay for has tighter has tighter reins around it and and see and this is, is actually this is actually insidious again totally and this is actually one area i think though where so for instance in the case of the grim sleeper crime mm-hmm. right a tool like this, I mean, the Grim, this is, it's actually very interesting. This is kind of an interesting dichotomy where the Grim Sleeper is kind of the perfect example of kind of the less dead not getting the kind of attention that they deserve, right? Mm-hmm. He was able to go for so long, you know, people in the neighborhood supposedly knew who this was. All the sex workers knew, um, you know, uh, this, yeah. you know, this, this guy, stay away from this guy, right? Yeah. With. Yeah, but. Did, did that warrant police? Well, that's what I'm. But that's what I'm. See, but that's what I'm. Yeah. What I'm saying. What I'm saying though is yeah. that it's interesting that both of these cases were solved by kind of similar stuff here. Mm-hmm. But in the case of the Grim Sleeper, it occurred because of kind of uh, the you know kind of a lucky break, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas in this case, it it happened because I guess again a lucky. I don't know if I call it lucky break. Almost a a interesting use of of new science that I think is definitely going to end up in the courts for some time. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so I think the ultimate questions now with this technology or this idea is this is a very, I mean this is a this is a this is an idea that even, you know, George Orwell could not have predicted. Right? This is one of those areas where mm-hmm. you know, there's an interesting argument that goes that the uh, when we we talk about it a lot on the show where um, if a system that's in power wants to stay in power, what it can do or what it tends to do sometimes it appears is to kind of co-opt and almost take in uh, rebellion or ideas against the system itself and then spit them back out in a way that seems like it's still the same, but really now is actually reinforcing the system. Right. Right. And so one of these, and so, right. And so of course, as I've mentioned many times in the show, the perfect example of that, in my opinion, is uh, punk rock culture being eaten up and shit at by Hot mm-hmm. Topic, right? <laughs> now, and then um, I naturally have to come to Hot Topic defense, right? Because because Marie is a sellout. So um, I'm just playing. I'm just kidding. Sir, I'm just kidding. I take umbrage. No, I'm teasing. Yeah, I, I can feel. Sellout. I can feel the the hard edge hey, from here. But um, I still. Hey, I still shoplift a Target. Oh, <laughs> so the or the, do i i don't okay yes, good i do i know you I don't do. you don't marie stop it you i don't. don't i don't so That's just a persona i'm playing i don't get shot at target <laughs> you're gonna get kicked at a target you don't want that no the you definitely don't want that i no. think what's interesting here is so with this kind of stuff where in some ways the uh, in some ways, DNA, DNA analysis, DNA forensics, this kind of stuff is a very valuable tool because it allows, it allows the, basically it allows police to be 
uh, certain that a criminal is the is the perpetrator of a crime, right? That the, the suspect, I shouldn't say the criminal, the suspect mm-hmm. is a match for the crime if DNA evidence is available, right? And so I think the promise of DNA forensics was this is going to let us get the criminal every time, right? Yes. We won't. We are not going to have the kind of horrible, um, you know, mistrials of justice that occur where, you know, just kind of normal police work, you know, which is fraught with peril and fraught with um, human error, human error and challenges. Right. And even, even if you are the Mm -hmm. best cop, even if you are the best person for the job, the kind of cop that a hundred percent should do the job, you know, it's still possible for you to make errors, right? It's still possible for something to happen that will, will get it wrong. Right. And so this, this tool will allow us to completely remove that, as an option. Well, we've kind of gotten to the point though now with this with these genealogy websites where if we don't protect our if we don't protect our own information such as DNA stuff. And it's not even it's not even your own information. This is, you know, this is someone in your family putting it up on uh, on the website, you know, a cousin you've never met in a state you've never been to or a country you've never been to can put this stuff online and now they can track you. Right. I actually wonder. This, this well, is a second point I'm going to make. Future generations. Future, absolutely. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, but it, it becomes a question of, you know, how much information, how much protection against these sorts of. You know, we're we're trying to protect in some ways against an overreach of government, right? This tool is useful because it, I mean, it is useful for uh, getting criminals for crimes that are cold cases, right? But it's also, I think, in some ways, even more beneficial for being certain that someone was at the scene of a crime, right? I, I would think that that's kind of a good way to sell this technology as a benefit. But at the same time now, it's kind of going, it's almost going the wrong way. The benefit is turning sour where, mm-hmm. well, now we can know, we, now we can know who did the crime, even if we have no real way of placing them there besides the DNA, right? Um, and that, and that leads open another question Agreed. of things like, you know, um, you know, I think one of the most due famous, process. well, one of the, besides due, but even besides due process, uh, in terms of the science itself, Mm-hmm. One of the most famous kind of cases of, you know, questionable, uh, I don't know if questionable verdict is the right word, but one of the biggest cases where people are questioning the results of an investigation is uh, Adnan Syed, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and the, the, you know, wonderful podcast serial. Well, uh, the victim in that case was found in the woods, right? Mm-hmm. How much discarded DNA might there be in that area? You know, you're you're running on the trail a half hour before and they get your DNA there. You know, mm-hmm. uh, this I think this suggests a long, a long process of DNA becoming the only requisite uh, evidence. Right. But I think, yeah, I think what's interesting, too, is like you assume that DNA is is accurate, but DNA DNA matches doesn't take human error out of it it helps just like fingerprints right it has higher degree of certainty but it's not it's not a hundred percent definitive just because again in any stretch of the imagination and in actuality 
it's being handled and manipulated by people and their errors will occur. So it's like, that's sort of a myth in itself that the DNA is a perfect 100% thing. But now you take DNA to your point, take DNA and you put it in this huge aggregate without any sort of, uh, without any sort of chain of evidence way of keeping any of this stuff safe with any, out any kind of process or without any kind of, intent that it should be used to match to criminals or to criminal intent or anything like that and it's just sort of almost a hodgepodge like there is no there is no um process behind it anymore and And to your point like too it, it takes it takes out context it takes out where was this found like if dna is found someplace then at least you have a you have a starting point and you have something that can back into other other points that would lead toward an indictment. But this is a standalone, uh, to your point, this is almost a standalone thing, Yeah, which is and, scary. And it's, it's letting them then build their case, whereas before, so they, they would have had mm-hmm. this stuff beforehand, right? But yes. it 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 create it allows them though to build a case now on all this other circumstantial evidence that before maybe looked like you know there's not enough there right I mean this um, right. just look at the way that even the two of us picking apart that that uh, criminal profile right we were able to find stuff to describe the situation versus prescribe it right we wouldn't have been able to get a suspect from that uh, from that you know. No. from that profile but now with dna there and a name and a face and a history we can start building the pieces up the other yes. question the other thing i think that's going to be fascinating is i was actually talking about this the other day with someone about the uh about the ancient aliens uh, thing actually i was talking oh, to ancient aliens i was talking to Mm-mm-mm. the great the great folks over at the end of the portal podcast part of damage oh. productions um yes. where we talked about how in some ways, technology, when you start to rely too strongly on a tool, you start to forget how to actually do the work that made the tool useful in the first place or that the tool took over for. Right. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like, you know, if, um, you know, if you looked at a person in the 1800s versus someone today and you put both of them on a desert island, the person from the 1800s would probably fare a lot better because they just know they literally know how to do more stuff without with less with less technology. Right. Um, they might still be able to start a fire on their own and they might still be able to, you know, um, mm-hmm. get some, you know, clean themselves even in the river. Like they have some sense of how to do that stuff versus us today where, you know, my cell phone dies at work and I might, you know, I, I, I've gotten lost. Forget function. You know, man. it's Why? terrible. What would I do without a target? What am I exactly. Supposed to where am I supposed to, where am I supposed to buy stuff? Where are you supposed to shoplift? It's, it's nuts. So when, when I think of, with this stuff is, you know, let's say we start relying on DNA more and more heavily, right? Well, mm-hmm. what happens? What happens when the first lab is able to generate, uh, is able to actually build DNA from scratch, right? And we're not even talking about building a, you know, creating life, a cell or something, whatever. I'm literally just talking about the chemical structure of DNA, right? We're mm-hmm. getting better and better at creating these self-aggregating molecules that build in these larger superstructures, right? We, carbon nanotubes and things like that and buckyballs and whatever, where it's the chemistry itself that causes them in solution to grow and uh, build in a certain structure. 
well, how long is it before our ability to manipulate DNA allows us to do the same thing? Or even like we do with genetic engineering, piece together DNA strands to create an aggregate that appears identical to real DNA, right? Right. When that, right. Ha- when that happens, all of this forensics stuff goes out the window, right? When that happens, um, it, it loses its validity again. So I am interested to see how this gets handled by the courts. But I also wonder, this is one of those instances where, you know, same with the march from, you know, Marie Curie discovering that uh, these, these, these materials degraded into these radioactive, uh, these, these components, right? That they, mm-hmm. they degraded and released energy and heat. Going from that to, well, actually, if we, if we put them in a certain way, we can create a tremendous amount of energy to then, okay, well, let's stick it in a bomb. Like that march, you know, it's hard to predict. And I, you know, and who knows, I could be completely off base. You know, that's the problem with, with predictions is they're always wrong until they're right. You know, so who and knows? And then they were right all along. Right. Um, and then, and then. And you're going to ride that even, horse until it drops dead. <laughs> and then even if you're wrong, sometimes you can still be thought that you were right like Nostradamus. Exactly. The, the, the challenge, I think the interesting, uh, an interesting question, I think, is. Is our reliance on this tool too much, right? Will real kind of police work, real detective work ever kind of, uh, kind of fall away, right? Because police, because detective work in some ways is supposed to be based on, in, in, in some ways, in all ways, is supposed to be based on basically a deductive, the same deductive process mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. science is based off of, right? That's- so... I think exactly. it's I think it's very very interesting that we're using this tool today but I am very very uh I'm very interested to see how this case goes. I could totally see this case getting thrown out because mm. um you which know what I mean be like awful. which yeah. would be awful, but I could 100% see it getting thrown out because they're going to say well when I mean we could talk about this for hours. true but But, i would also be interested in hearing from any of our viewers that have an alternate point of view because i feel like i feel like i just like you i'm just i i look at this and it's so fraught with with things that don't make sense that i would love to hear the flip side of the debate so dear listeners if you have one holla and let us know because we want to hear it even even from a even from a pragmatic point of view Agreed. where i just see this getting i just see this getting eviscerated in a courtroom you know what i mean and i hope not like i'd like to think i think that the fundamental of police work to your point is 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 solid it's solid like you are using a scientific method you are using observation and deduction to put together a case piece by piece that's unassailable and that the tools that you have and the ingredients that you put into that may change over time. But that formula is, in my mind, kind of what is the basis for investigation, right? That's that you are litmus testing and you are, you are finding out the facts and you're putting the things together and you're stress testing it continuously until you have reached a end, an end goal that is not influenced by bias or by your own opinion. It's 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 
it's by the evidence that you've found and the facts. And that's, I don't think that that will ever change in quality and good police work. I, and I, I hope that this case does come to justice. I would hope that it comes to justice just so people can, you know, can have their closure in this entire thing. Um, and I hope that there's, there's, I don't know, but to your, to your point, man, this, it is the Pandora's box with this. It sure is. I'm, I'm interested. Mm -hmm. I can't wait to kind of, um, mm -hmm. I can't wait to see, I guess, what ultimately comes from this. I actually yes. think, I actually think one of the other challenges with this or one of the other issues is the erosion of, like you said, civil liberties in the sense that if a cop comes to you and says, we have your DNA at the scene, I don't, you know, I don't care how good your lawyer is. You are, you are going to go home and think about if you have a lawyer, you're maybe going to go home. If not, mm -hmm. you're going to sit in a cell and think about, they have my DNA. I better just confess. I better I just be yes. guilty. Right. And so I think in that sense, <sighs> it is also again, uh, you know, again, what happens if the son pleads guilty, but it's actually the father's DNA, right? What if it's, you know, right? Like this Agreed. seems again, like super fraught with problems, but if, yeah, listeners, if you have a, if you have another point, if you have a, a differing viewpoint, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email. Yes. The mad scientist podcast, gmail.com. You can also reach us at, at mad scientist pod uh, on Twitter or at team giant squid. And uh, yes. you know, that's it for this week. We'll be back next week with more military industrial complex. Next mm -hmm. week, we are talking about the privatization of the military with groups like, Blackwater and um, good yeah, stuff. It's very good stuff. Oh, meaty good stuff. Very interesting. And uh, thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week. I'm Eliza, and I need you to listen to me. Have you ever felt so much that you don't know where to put it all, and you wonder if anyone would notice if you screamed? Because you want to. Scream for the ones they've hurt. The ones they've taken. Scream for yourself. These are my words. My story from my perspective. Because I know you'll hear other versions. Because I want you to have a chance to believe mine. Or at least hear it. If you're getting this, it's already over. But if one of you listens, really listens, it won't be for nothing. <laughs>